all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Okay. So, this is a major development. Jesus calls the twelve, and what does he do with them? Gave them power and authority over demons and the ability to cure diseases. Wow. That's amazing. And he sends them out. You know, to proclaim the kingdom, perform the healings. Um, you know, really all the things Jesus has been doing, now he's commissioned them to be doing as well. And what why he do that? What, what do you see as the advantages to Jesus sending these guys out? Training. Yeah, it's on-the-job training. You know, it's kind of an apprenticeship idea. You know, give him a chance to fly and then come back and we'll discuss, you know, how it went. What's it also doing? Covering more area. Absolutely. It's a way of getting the gospel spread to more territory by sending another six pairs out, six teams. Uh, so, so you know, Jesus seemed to have a lot of sense of, of urgency to try to get the message spread everywhere possible. I mean, you know, you just see that so much in the New Testament, just that urgency to get the message spread. Everybody needs to hear. Every place needs to, you know, be evangelized. Um he gives them some kind of unusual instructions, I think. What does he tell them to not to do? Don't pack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't take anything. Just just go. As you are right now. I mean, anybody ever go on a fairly lengthy trip and doesn't pack a suitcase or two or three or four? <laughs> if you're female, it's two or three or four. If it's male, it's one. Right? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, how are they going to eat? What are they going to wear? I mean, how are they going to, where are they going to stay? Apparently they're going to depend on, depend on God to provide that by the people that they interact with. I think so. The people who they're preaching to are going to take care of them. They're going to depend on that. And so, you know, and they just stay in whatever house they enter when they first come into a city and stay there till they leave. What do you see as positive things about this order not to pack? You don't have anything hindering and slowing you down. Tell you what, if you ride on buses very much, you pack light. 
uh, maybe not pack uh, not packing at all is pretty radical. But yeah, it, it, it just it's faster. You know, you're not wasting a bunch of time. You're not lugging everything around. You just go. So it, it accompanies the idea of the urgency of the mission. What else do you see as a positive thing in this? does teach you to depend on both God and other people and and kind of it's it has to be it has to be like at the forefront of your mind. I don't have, you know, an extra sandwich in my couch for later. I have to hope that someone gives me that or hope that God provides, depending on which way you kinda of look at it. Agreed. Yes. Um you know, it really teaches you to rely on other people's hospitality. And it really teaches them that they must depend on the Lord. I'll tell you another thing. You know, it makes life simple. I mean, you know, this is, they're not going in for luxury accommodations and, you know, gourmet meals. I mean, this is going to be kind of whatever you get, you get. You know, so it's a more modest, simple-minded uh, approach to that. So, should we follow these same instructions today? Maybe. <laughs> well, the principle, yes. But no, this was specific to, the, to them, and they came back, and it was done. That mission was over. How do we know? Well, it said they did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and... Luke 22:35, And he said to them, When I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? They said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. So Jesus specifically rescinded those rules. Agreed, they were just for this mission anyway. But what we know from Luke 22, that's a trick question when I ask, you know, should we keep following these rules? Because Jesus specifically said no. And I think he says no in the sense that you're not going to be able to depend on the hospitality of the people you're preaching to. Life's going to be more of a jungle. You know, there's going to be more opposition. You're going to have to kind of take care of yourself. You can't, you know, can't depend on everybody being nice to you like they were at this point. So I think, you know, at this point they could. I do agree there's many principles to still learn from this. But these specific instructions are not the case. Um, so why does he say, you know, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city? What would make you not want to leave, not want to stay there? If you manage to pick the poorest housekeeper <laughs> in the city and you have to stay in that place. Yeah, so. a, a desire to upgrade, you know, your uh, living situation. Uh, but no, that's not the point. Just stay where you're at. You know, it doesn't matter how good or bad it is. But what if the uh, city doesn't receive their testimony? What were they supposed to do? Shake off the dust of their feet. Which means what? Why would you shake off the dust of your feet? It's a symbol. That? That they don't want to, don't want to take any of that with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, you don't want to be contaminated, not even with the dust of a place that rejected the Lord. Uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, almost a last, you know, acted out call for repentance. It's saying, you guys are so bad, we don't even want to have any of your dust with us. Now, think about this. Alright, so what if, what, what if, what, how would we fill this out? As for those who do not receive you as you go out from that city, what would we fill it in with? Try to figure out where you went wrong and don't do it again. Isn't that what we do? We'd get rejected and we blame ourselves. You do not see that here. This is not, and if they don't receive you, you better go back to, you know, Missions 101 and figure out, you know, what you need to do now. If they don't receive them, whose fault is it? Yeah, the people who don't receive them. I mean, never, never crossed their mind that they did the wrong thing. They're just teaching the gospel message. You know, if people don't receive it, it's the people who don't receive it who uh, are doing the wrong. So, they go out and do exactly what he says. Uh, and Herod hears about it. Oh my, poor Herod. What does he think? He's got a guilty conscience. He does, how do you know? He's hearing these rumors, this might be John coming back. Yeah, he's got the Baptist on the brain. You know, and why? <laughs> you know, oh no, I knew I did the wrong thing. He's come back to haunt me. When he's sobered like up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> Sounds like there are three popular ideas about who Jesus was, but Terry latched on to the one about John. Yes, it's the one that haunts him. You know, he can't get rid of the blood off of his hands. You know, isn't that the way it is? You know, I mean, you do something wrong. You ever, you ever did something and you know, it was the wrong thing to do, and then somebody calls you? Or so, or something like, and you just know, oh no, they found out. Oh no, they're gonna, you know, everything that happens. Oh no, it's gonna catch up to me. You know, even sometimes when bad things happen. Oh no, this is God punishing me. You know, guilt will make you just almost be paranoid. You know, almost just see a, you know, some threat behind every rock. And I think that's that's Herod. I mean, he he does have a guilty conscience. I guess he should have. So it obviously was. More, I mean, I don't know if you say popular beliefs the, the, about Jesus. Because when he asked the disciples, who who do people say that I am? Right. Okay, okay, they had heard this somewhere before. Similar, were they, what, two of those? Or? Yeah, it said, it's verse 19. They said John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets of old. Okay, so they mentioned three also, but it wasn't the exact same right. three. That's what I was... And it depends on your uh, which book, <laughs> you know. They have some differences. Between but it wasn't, books. yeah, it wasn't John the Baptist mentioned right by them. But that was one that Herod. Maybe he threw that in himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they answered and said John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old was risen again. So, so John the Baptist is one of the ideas. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, but, but is the one Herod lashes onto because of his guilty conscience, I think. You know, I myself had John beheaded. You know, it's, it's the eye of the guilty conscience. You know, he knows, he knows he's come back to haunt him. He's been looking for him. Is this the Herod who 
Yes. Is this, okay, so it's not successful in seeking to see Jesus, evidently. Evidently not. You would, I mean, you would have thought that he could have if he had really wanted to. Probably could know. have, yes. <laughs> Unless Jesus didn't want him to. That's he true. Could not have. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine Herod, Herod going to a Jesus rally. <laughs> Probably wasn't with the crowds very often. <laughs> okay. And perhaps his presence would have broken up any type of meeting. Yes. So, so this is Herod Antipas, the son of the Herod that killed the babies around Bethlehem. The uncle of the Herod that was eaten with worms and died. Who himself, the one eaten by the worms, was the father of Drusilla, Agrippa, and Bernice. I'll say that a few times. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, this you just have to watch things, and I'm not as careful as I should be. I was just reading a commentary today that had the Herod here being the same as the Herod that was eaten by worms, which it, I, that's totally wrong. It's like, wow, they just let that slip past them. Uh, you know, you read, you can't believe what you read. It wasn't. It's a good commentary because it's really practical. It's not necessarily a scholarly commentary, but it's normally been pretty well written. Uh, but I was like, oh, I can't believe you. All right, and then they come back and uh, kind of debrief, I suppose, with Jesus. All right, anything else through verse 10? Anything you want to ask about or talk about? All right, 11 to 17. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and spoke to, unto them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and, uh, and said, Send the crowd away into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go buy food for all these people. But there are about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And so they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, uh, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Well, so the crowds follow Jesus. They often do. You know, and Jesus, although he seeks privacy, doesn't seem irritated. You know, they're kind of crashing in on his, uh, you know, time with his disciples. And, uh, the day's ending, and the twelve said, look, you know, these guys are hungry. We better send them away to get something to eat. And Jesus says, what? You feed them. Yeah. Well, whoever asked anything like that? You know, I mean, really? I mean, they're not overly enthusiastic about this, right? What do they say? We don't have enough. Yeah. It would cost too much to get enough. Man, this would cost a fortune. I mean, you know, they're certainly not. We don't certainly have enough to go around, you know. And, uh, you know, it just seems like kind of an impossible thing. I mean, wow. You just think about it. What if it was you? You know, and... You know, you've got 5,000 people that show up unexpectedly for dinner and you've got to serve them off the leftovers in your refrigerator. 
you know, that's probably going to be not likely. Yeah. So you can see the issue here. Uh, but Jesus cares about them. And so Jesus says, okay, have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50. I mean, they don't have the food. But so they matter how you arrange them. That's exactly right. Now, Chris sits at the foot of the table instead of the head of the table. Maybe we'll have enough food. No, wait, that won't. Becomes one of these deals where you mess with them long enough, it all goes away or something. (laughs) Divide by zero or something. I don't know. But uh, they've really got to obey Jesus before they have any clue what's going to happen. That's got to take some, you know, trust and probably quite a bit of perplexity. And then Jesus takes what they've got and he starts giving it to the disciples. And he just keeps giving it until everybody gets filled up. And how many baskets full of broken pieces do they find? Twelve. Twelve. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jesus provided more than enough. There's a basket of leftovers for each of the disciples. And really just a remarkable incident. Um, and the disciples who have been receiving hospitality as they've been going out on this journey, now they're, they're the waiters that are providing hospitality to the people. Uh, that's, just, that's just really interesting. Is there any event in the Old Testament that this reminds you of? No. Manna, yes. Manna. The widow of Zarephath. The widow of Zarephath. There's something closer. One of the least known Old Testament events. um, Well, there was the stew. There was the stew. About that one. Now a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack, and he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. His attendant said, What? Will I set this before a hundred men? But he said, Give them to the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. You know that one was in there? Where is it? You know who did that? Elijah. Elisha. Second Kings 4, 42 to 44. Isn't that one of the most not-read passages? You know? But there's your background. Elisha is so much a type of Jesus. There are so many ways in which Elisha prefigures Jesus. But I think Elisha gets short shrift. I, I don't know if we study Elisha very much. Study Elijah. But Elisha, who's really more the forerunner of Jesus, I mean, more the kind of like precursor of Jesus, foreshadowing, I think we don't look at much. So that that's just an interesting uh, parallel. Oh, and that's right after the stew one. Yeah, a uh, little bit, yeah. But yeah, it is right after the stew, you're right. Um... Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, this is the one miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus that's recorded in all four Gospels. I don't think there's any others that are. Mm. Right. Any, anything else? This is a, a nerdy math thing. 
So it says there were 5,000 men, and we're, other accounts indicate there are women and children too, but just ignoring that for the moment. If they set that in groups of 50, so there would be 100 groups of 50, and I'm thinking, so how many baskets there would be like, Ten, ba- 10 groups would have one basket of leftovers? Yeah, I suppose so. And then there, But then there's like two more. So it's Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they did it group by group in the leftovers. You know, I, I don't know how that worked. You could do it a lot of different ways. But I was just thinking, it's like, you know, got all of these groups, they have some, and then there's even more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, a basket for each of the 12, I mean, that's well, well more than they had to begin with. After they filled everybody. That's crazy. Alright, well we'll stop here. And we'll pick up two weeks from now. Lord willing. And you all.